A lot of you are familiar with the DNA Project and have been rocking with us for a while, but some of you aren't. A lot of you are faithful listeners of the podcast, but aren't familiar with some of the other work that we do. So I just want to take a quick moment to explain to you a little bit more of what we do. So you're getting married, or you have a friend, a cousin, a sister, somebody you know is getting married. Okay. You've booked your venue, caterers, photographer, all that good stuff. When it comes to live music, most people have no idea where to look. We have you covered. Picture this. During the ceremony, while guests are being seated, or while the bride's walking down the aisle. During the cocktail hour, while guests are just mingling and having a good time. Don't forget about dinner music. That's very important to set the mood while guests eat. And we definitely can't forget the party. Let's get the party started right now with The DNA Project. www.thednaproject.ca for more information. Come on, guys. That was pretty good. The first sound was nice. The Rio part. Rio de Janeiro. Uh, What's up, guys? How you you doing, doing, sir? This is not how we start this podcast, is it? Did I just mess it up? Who cares? This is how we start today. (laughs) This is the DNA Airwaves, and I'm Anthony, your favorite host, along with me are your other favorite host, Ricky. Yo. And Matt. Hi. A little upset that I stole his spotlight here. But listen, my energy is high today. I sat here silently in the green room waiting for this moment to just let it all out. So let's go. All right. What's up, Matt? You said you had a story for us. Tell I did. Well, we're we're supposed to have a guest today, and I think they're uh, sort of uh, stuck in the cyberspace somewhere trying to get in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in yeah. the meantime, <laughs> I can tell you, I went to see. You know, I'm embarrassed to say, but I went to see. It's the first time I went to see a comedian that I know. Like I, I've gone to comedy shows before, and I've watched. I watch yeah. a lot of specials, but this is the first time where I was like, I like that comedian. I'm going to get some tickets. I'm going to go see them. It was Joe Norman. Joe, oh, Joe List, List the, right. the other half of, of uh, Mark yeah, Norman. Yeah. I'm seeing Norman yeah. in uh, October. Um, nice. And the, my story was mm. that I came in and everything was late, uh, and I've been going on this uh, uh, almost Anthony level kick of hydrating. Mm, I nice. I can't. You you travel with like a full gallon. Is it a gallon? It's a gallon, it's right? A gallon. That's yeah. like multiple. Ga- that's that's a gallon. ridiculous, like, right? right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I travel with a liter. That's all I can do. I'm not man enough Reasonable. for a whole yeah, gallon. I do that too. Um, I but I drink it. I try to drink it four times a day, and that comes out to a gallon. And I had to pee, and I'm waiting, and I'm like, "There's no way I'm missing Joe List." And then right. there was an opener. I'm like, "Oh God!" And then I, uh, <laughs> I thought, "Okay, I can wait because Joe's coming." And then there was another opener, and then that opener left, and I was like, "I can't! Oh my God! I have to go!" So I went to pee, and the, the, the people show. in the aisles stood up. <laughs> yeah, they let me through. And as I step out and I leave the hall, I hear the announcer go, "Joe List," and I go, "You know what? Never mind." And I run back full of pee. <laughs> And uh, Wait, I'm like, I'll just watch the show. I'll hold it. And the yeah. people at the end of the aisle, I was like, excuse me, can I come? And the guy was so excited. He was flailing his arms like those car dealership balloon things. <laughs> and wow. he punched me straight in the face. Ooh. Oh, like hard. Shit. Wow. And I <laughs> took a turn. But he didn't <laughs> he notice. He oh, didn't notice. Fuck. And for a second, I was about to be like, did you just... Bu- and I was like, there's no time for this. And he didn't mean it. And what's the point? I, I want to see Joe. So they, they yeah. stood up to let me through. And Joe's like, wow, I'm getting a standing ovation. Oh, never mind. It's just this asshole coming back from the bathroom. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am 
at a show that I paid oh. to see. I just got punched in the face. And the host <laughs> is like, look at this asshole. Sit down. Shut up. And you peed yourself. Ooh. That's a great And then story. I peed, peed myself. And my girlfriend left me. And I'm homeless. Oh, wow. That's my story. So that's the shame part. You're not ashamed that you went to see a comedian. You're ashamed of everything that happened. I'm not ashamed of any of that. Why would I be? Did I say I'm ashamed? You said, said, yeah, you're ashamed. Yeah, you said I'm ashamed to say. Oh, I'm ashamed to admit that that I'm like a comedy fan that hasn't Oh, that part, that part. Okay, I got you. That part, no, not punching. Once you said ashamed, I I, I hung on to that. I was waiting for like some real shame. (laughs) Yeah. No, I reveal the shame part immediately. I have a shame comedy story. Do you remember, Dreeky? No, tell me. I want to hear. Once I want to remember. I don't know who the comedy was because uh, we went we went to some comedy show at some place. I'm not really a yeah. big uh, comedy buff. Like not in the way you are. I like to laugh, <laughs> but not like. <laughs> I'm just messing. But uh, we were watching. Like who the was Kauai it? Podcast. You'll probably remember when. Um, once I, I know exactly who it is. I know exactly remember? who it is. So yeah, I went. Yeah, yeah. What did I do? I think I went to the washroom or something. Probably similar, oh, yeah, but on the yeah, way yeah. back. Or I don't know if I was on my way back or when I was actually leaving that he started to steal Russell Peters material and act like I was going to take a poo-poo. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he tried to roast, or he didn't try, he roasted me publicly <laughs> as a part of his little comedy skit that I had what also paid for. I don't know. I might went, I saw red. I don't remember what he said. Okay, Dariki, what did he <laughs> I say? Forgot, I forgot that don't it was remember. comedy. You know? I was, was like, this guy's trying to fight him. me. He yeah, wants to yeah. fight me. I got all puffed up and I was like, "Oh, this did you? Show. Oh, you? That's I kind of did." People it's at comedy shows, please just take what. Yeah, but that's the. That's, I realized I didn't get mad. Space. I didn't say anything, yeah. but in the yeah, that split fine. second, I was like, "Oh, okay." And then it clicked in. Yeah, you're at a comedy show. It's not some. I thought you. T- I thought like the summer sausages flexed, and you're about no, to. No, it wasn't like go at it. It wasn't like I was at church, and it was like a preacher who was calling me out for standing up and going to take crap or something. That would have been a different yeah. situation. So, which has happened? Do preachers do oh, that? Oh yeah, I'm mean, yeah. I oh, guess yeah. Oh, yeah. Growing up, we used to. There's a lot of. I stories. remember one time a preacher was like, "Hold on, son, don't go to the bathroom yet. This is the good part." I was like, "Excuse me." No way. <laughs> this is the I good swear. part. <laughs> <laughs> you told me this is the good part. I was like, uh, "None of this is going to be the good part." I'm out of here. Was it the? Yeah. What was it? <laughs> I want to hear. This it wasn't part. a good part. I don't even. It wasn't. Oh good. yeah, that's the only part. It that wasn't. That was. I didn't that even was wait. The best it was part, just like, actually. "Are you serious right now?" I'm out of here. That was the best part. Oh, I think we're about to be. But it's so funny that you were talking about accidentally getting punched in the face. I remember one time. I was at a bar in uh, Guelph, and I don't know what happened. I wasn't even, like, part of the, the ruckus, none of it. I was just having a good time with my boy John. And yep. all of a sudden, I got clocked right in the face, just, like, straight up punched. And the guy looked at me and was like, I'm so sorry. Like, he could tell, he could tell like, I was oh, beside man. the ruckus, but I wasn't part of it. So I was kind of like... Looking at John like, yo, we should move because there's dudes fighting here. And then as I'm saying that, I just get bomb right in the face. And then he said, sorry. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, sorry, man. And I was like, like, I wanted to hit him back because it hurt. Like, I was like, you know, <laughs> you just, when you're not I'm expecting not it, get punched. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not crying. He's got, I'm allergic <laughs> to jerks. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, he like came back with the drink and like after it was all done he's like my buddy got kicked out i'm so sorry man here's here's a drink and i'm like you punch me in the face and then roofie my drink and think i'm gonna take this drink for you get out of here you creep so uh i was like mad at him and then i'm leaving the bar and uh <laughs> so 
I'm sitting on like this like ledge and I saw him and I purposely tripped him as he was walking by me. And he fell and I'm like, We're even now. And like cause he got up angry and I'm like, We're even now. And he looked at me and pointed and was like, All right, all right. That was like cool. That was you're a good guy. Oh man. At least he apologized. This guy didn't even realize he punched me. Right, yeah. yeah. He, oh, he yeah. didn't even notice? He didn't no, feel his he was, hand hitting I don't flesh. even know what he was doing. He wasn't clapping. He was, like, doing things with his arms. He was so excited. <laughs> Who gets I don't that know excited? What it was. They just start flailing their arms. <laughs> it's like yeah. Michael Jackson in the 80s. That's hilarious. That might get yeah. me to flail my arms. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, I got to say, one of the comedians that opened for Joe uh, was pretty conservative, like pretty Republican, let's say. And okay. I want to say that I was very happy at how the audience took it because generally the people there weren't into that. Right. Um, but they're like, okay, all right, jokes. Hello, we have Joel here. Hey, how are you doing? There we go. Hey, Welcome. Hey. How's it going? We got everything figured out there? Got everything figured out. Came as a Google Meet uh, link and then no one actually did that, so I didn't realize I had to use the app, but here we are. Okay. Sorted. Cool. Thanks for joining us. It's been a long My time. Pleasure. Yeah, man. How have you? What have you been up to the last? What's the last time I saw you? It's been like ten years or more. Yeah, it's it's been a little while, eh? Yeah. Well, I I, guess... um, I discovered dueling pianos over the last ten years, and over the last seven of them, it's kind of evolved to taking over my life. Ooh, okay, that sounds intense. So yeah, let's get so, into the dueling piano story. What made you want to start that uh, company in the first place? Well, I went to see a show because I was curious as to what it was. And there used to be a dueling pianos venue in Oakville. And I got there and there was a lineup just out of the door. And right. there was 300 people inside. And I heard them all screaming and shouting and singing. And I'm like, sounds quite quite a lot of fun and I went in and nice. it's just basically two piano players taking requests from the audience and encouraging them to sing and participate and drink heavily and <laughs> those are all things that I'm pretty good at. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I, I talked to the people who were there and I joined the team eventually after a couple of weeks of sitting in with them and from there, I realized that it, it paid really well, and it was a lot of fun, and it was check, check, all of the skills check. that I'd built up over years of playing the piano and singing of people. So I was kind of a natural fit, and then I realized that we could do more than just playing in venues at making other people money. So I started a company, and we did a few weddings and a few corporate events, and it's just spiraled from there to where it takes up 98% of my gigging calendar now. Wow. Very specific nice. number, 298. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, very um, specific. It's important is, to have like a little bit of something that's not the same. Like it's nice right, to right. play, nice to play with like full bands and go and do weddings. Also, like we, we live in a music community where you can be very quickly forgot. So it's very important to keep your foot in the door in true. case everything else falls apart. Right? That is true. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, out yeah. of sight, out of mind. So yeah, listen up, relevant. everybody. It's a uh, a very good piece of advice. Stay so. Relevant. <laughs> how not just relevant just what you mentioned about things changing all the time mm -hmm. uh there you know disco died one day and the and the, and the people or maybe what? sorry it died in terms of popularity <laughs> anthony's so surprised disco died? <laughs> uh and the people that were too niche on the disco you know had to get other jobs uh absolutely mm -hmm. we you have to be like there are shifts in 
the, what people do, like when DJs and karaoke first came out, live music died a death because people were like, hey, this is awesome. It's like having a band and we only have to pay one person for this. Uh, yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. who knows when that next shift will happen? And I mean, I think people appreciate live music more than perhaps they did when the novelty of DJs and karaoke came out. So I keep my fingers crossed that we're not in for that that kind of seismic shift again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I've been wrong in the past many times. <laughs> we all have. Uh, fun yeah. fact, karaoke means uh, empty orchestra. Huh. Does it? Yes. I didn't know that. I, I Kara means that. empty, like karate is empty fist. Mm-hmm. There we go. Oh, we're learning some that is, uh, wow. that, that's interesting. Dope what you, you just and made us all sound a lot cooler at the next party. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, I, I want to ask about uh, how do pianos duel on a more technical level? Uh, do you sort of grab different bands, like somebody goes low, the other person goes high, or is it counter rhythms or counter melodies, or how does it work? In general, what we do, so usually there'd be one one pianist who was substantially better than the other. So one person <laughs> would just lay down a groove, okay. and then the other person does the more flowery stuff and brings it sort of character. Right. Okay. If you have two people who are really, really good, then the whole time you just spend trying to get out of each other's way. Ah. Mm. Oh, so it's actually not preferable to have two really good pianists, is what you're saying in that If situation? you have two really good pianists, it definitely becomes harder on both of you because you're both used to filling the space. And oh. uh, you, you have to definitely think, all right, so what is my function? If you're going to go do that, how do I make this better and not make it sound like we're just playing? Right. And like not giving consideration to the others, like harmonic jurisdiction, I guess. Oh, interesting. Ah, interesting. So, yeah, in general, it's better to have one person who's not quite as good because then that person will just lay it down and then you can do all the stuff over the top. Uh, so, there are a few people who are extremely good. And when we play together, it's, it's very much like whoever starts the song will, uh, will make it very obvious to the other player what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then the other person just fits in around it. But it's a lot of listening because yeah. it's not the same as with a band. So like if someone is, if so say you're doing something like Billie Jean and the person who starts mm-hmm. it is playing that, is playing that bass line. Well, in general, I'm not going to want to play the bass line at the same time as him because you get like a chorusy phasey effect because we're both playing piano sounds. Yeah. So I would yeah. tend to like, all right, I'll play at the top and try and do all the, the like the little licks and stuff that you'd hear on the guitar. There you go. <laughs> For example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All of yeah, those little yeah. So, so if I was interested in becoming a part of this, is there a, is there a space or I guess a part of the application where I'd say I want to go, I want to be the inferior of the two musicians? Is that like the specific? <laughs> is that, how does that work, or is it just based on? Sub looking for Dom. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, basically, it's just like most things. It's just being visible, right? We. We have a bunch of residencies. We play in public a fair amount because it funnels people into doing for, for private work and that makes sense. for corporate events. It's important for people to come, be able to come out and see you and not just rely on video and word of mouth. Yeah, and like yeah. just coming out, sitting in, and like making yourself available and showing that you're enthusiastic is is a good way in. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, you know what's funny here? <laughs> We're on this video call. And you're moving around quite a bit. You have a lot of energy, Joel. Right. I am really bad at sitting down while I'm talking. Oh, is that what it is? Uh, it drives my fat 
Well, it drives my family up the wall on FaceTime. I play with a few bands and I play with one ABBA tribute and we tour all over North America and I'm not allowed in the dressing room. That's hilarious. Because it drives everyone up the wall because I just pace backwards and forwards. I'm sorry, if it's giving you motion sickness, I can try and sit down. No, it's okay. I'm just messing with you. Even funnier than that, though, why did you choose piano and not guitar or saxophone or something? You know what? I really wanted to be a guitarist growing up. Like, I grew up listening to Guns N' Roses and, like, Nirvana and all that indie stuff. Yeah. And all I ever wanted to do was guitarist. My finger's just a bit fat. So, like, I can play guitar, but when it comes to playing lead guitar, it's just a bit messy. And, like, the amount of space on a fretboard compared to the amount of space on a, like, on a piano key. Yeah. Just meant my hands are just much better at it. Fair enough. Okay. What made you choose um, moving to Toronto, Ontario, of all places, just out of curiosity? Well, that was quite interesting. So when I left university, I bumbled around the, the UK music scene for about six months playing with a bunch of bands. And I had an opportunity to audition for the resident musician position at the Savoy Hotel, which is a very fancy five-star hotel uh, in for downtown sure. London. Yeah, And I got it which was pretty amazing as the, the youngest, I was 21 at the time, and the youngest person ever to have held that position before was like 50. Wow, oh wow. So I played mm-hmm. there for about three years. I played for afternoon tea instrumentally in the afternoon, and then I went upstairs and sung and played piano in the American bar in the evening, which was an awful lot of music. Like That was like nine hours of playing a day. Ooh. Gave myself terrible tendonitis. I don't recommend it. Yeah. Wow. But... I met a whole bunch of people, including a couple of people who ran a record label here in Toronto, and me being 21 and thinking I was going to be the next Elton John, I was like, here, <laughs> let, me, let me send you all this music. And they were like, okay, we like this, we'd love to record you an album, so they signed me to their label, and we recorded it here at um, the Gasworks, which was out on the island at the time. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, well, you should be here so that we can promote it. So I came over on, on a swap visa, which is like a reciprocal work, working holiday visa that they offer to like Commonwealth countries. Yeah, yeah. And then I was here and we did some touring and did a few cool gigs. And I met my girlfriend at the time and nice. so I, oh, I really like it here. And actually, funnily enough, the first few winters that were here when I moved here were really mild. And then the moment I decided to put down roots, Canada showed me what, what I really do. True color, and I think yeah. that if Canada had done that the first year I was here, I would have just been like, nope, 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 yeah. nope, nope. <laughs> Coming from England where it just rains all the time, I can deal with rain, but right. like huge amounts of snow and minus 20 wasn't something I'd ever really experienced. Right. There, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you world. stayed, so thank you. I did they, stay. And you know what? I love it here. I, like, I love England and I'm definitely a Brit at heart, but... I mean, I've been here 14 years now, and Canada's a beautiful place. So many different things to see. I like very yes. much like London. I like the fact that Toronto is like a cultural hot pot. There's yeah. people from all over the world, all cultures, creeds, everything. So if I want to go out and have Ethiopian food on a Monday and then go have Mexican food on a Tuesday, yeah, like yeah. all of these things are available. And it feels a lot like London in the fact that it's very like, cosmopolitan. Yeah. And I like the music scene here. And also because I'm British, Canadians think I'm far more intelligent than I actually am. Facts. That is 100%. (laughs) Just by listening to my voice, they assume like, oh, wow, you must really know what you're talking about. (laughs) Which is often not true, but (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah, milk it for all it's worth. That's that's Absolutely. Have you been back to London? British accent for sure wins the most Mm -hmm. intelligence points of all of them. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I come by it naturally. And it's it's just very funny when you when you sit and you ask someone something and you can see it in their eyes like, oh, you're English. Just oh, keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah. I mean, there's other accents that make you sound smart, like German, but people don't want to hang out with that guy. They're like, you're yeah, yeah, smart. Absolutely. We'll see you in the lab. <laughs> and frightening. <laughs> in the lab. You know? You're so silly. So you know what happens? I'll be honest, uh, Joel. Um, when I'm around people that are from the UK, I tend to want to mimic their accent. It's one of the grossest things. I'm ashamed <laughs> to admit this in front of you, but I'm sure you get it all the time where people just start putting on this weird accent. And you're like, why are you talking like that? You just call his accent. I'm one of those idiots. <laughs> it's actually funny. Some people, they, they think I'm kidding. Right, so they mimic that oh. to me in a, as, as a joke, like, "Oh, oh yes, funny. of course." Well, that's too lovely. I'm people very British, right? No, I am actually English. <laughs> and then they always amazing. feel a bit silly, but it is amazing the number of people who, who when they hear it first time, just want to mimic it. That, you, you yeah, are not yeah. alone, man. <laughs> All right, thank alone. you. I feel better now. <laughs> that is hilarious. Um, wow. So. Uh, let's talk about afternoon tea for a second, because uh, <laughs> okay. I know that the, Cana the Canadian listeners were like, wait, hold on, you're just going to gloss past afternoon tea. Uh, <laughs> so you had you were doing afternoon tea, which, uh, like, in the dinner context, or it was an actual tea party? So it's kind of like a tea party. It's one of those things that very, very rich English people used to do in the 20s and 30s. And there are very few places that you can still do it. There's actually a place in Toronto. I think the King Edward Hotel still does it. Um, mm, wow. But you go and there's a piano player and you sit and you eat like very fancy sandwiches and like cakes and scones and you drink excessive amounts of tea and it happens <laughs> somewhere between one and four o'clock in the afternoon. And it's, it's one of those things that lots of tourists come to do. You wouldn't see many British people at the Savoy. Have lots and lots of tourists who come in because it's one of those quintessentially British things that you feel you just yeah. must do. You're in London, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so these American tourists would come for tea and then they'd go to the American bar. Just see a they lot would of get, that happen. Yeah, they would absolutely do that. You could spend the whole afternoon there, and you'd see people who would like sat and drink, drink themselves silly on tea and biscuits and then they'd go upstairs and they'd drink martinis until their day was done so what's the difference between an american bar and a uk pub i guess i, I forgive my so ignorance a british pub is more like walking into a barn like it's not there's nothing classy about it it's okay. like we, we in england okay. we call them spit and sawdust because uh, in the old times they used to put sawdust all over the floor of these pubs uh, so that uh, if anyone spilled anything or threw up and then at the end out. of the night, right. they'd just sweep Scoop it all it up, up, throw it away, yeah, and yeah. cover it out again. So it made cleanup much easier. Genius. Oh, my mm. God. They were like hamsters. Like, pubs are very much like <laughs> no nonsense. You're there for drinking. It's like feels like a converted old cottage. American yeah. bars are very much like that they're made to feel cool and like like you're cool by being there. That that definitely right. isn't the way that we drink in England. It's interesting. In England, pubs are like the hub of a community, so everyone has a local pub. And I, right. I would never invite people over to my house. I would meet them at the pub. Mainly because if you come over to my house, you're going to create mess. I'm awful at tidying, so yeah. like, <laughs> let's let mess somewhere where someone will do that for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the difference between a bar and a pub is a pub feels like an extension of your own home where a bar feels gotcha. like somewhere you might actually venture to go to ah, uh, thank you for clearing that up that makes oh, sense oh that's 
the 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 best explanation I've heard about the difference between a pub yeah, and a bar. Uh, let's get back to music. Can you tell us a bit about your musical history? How did you? Because improvising to me is with especially with a harmonic instrument to me is voodoo. Um, can you talk to us about that? How did you learn to improvise? Um, how do you stitch things together in an improvisational way? Uh, and other such questions. All right. I mean, that's interesting. So I grew up uh, playing classical music, as most pianists do, until I got to about 13, 14. And classical music has always left me super cold. Like, I'm good at playing it. I mean, I'm not as good now as I was back then because I don't practice it in the slightest. But it's always left me pretty cold. So I would, like, get these tapes of, like, Ray Charles and Jerry Lee Lewis and like Little Richard and people, and I would yeah. sit at the piano and I'd press play and I'd try and play along with them. And I'd realize that the only, the only way that I could start, like, because I couldn't, I wasn't going to transcribe them because I've always been incredibly lazy like that. So, like, but like sitting and working <laughs> yeah, out yeah. things and then playing things I'd heard on the radio in those various styles. So, I think with improvisation, it very much comes down to just from a very young age, listening to things and wanting to sound like that and sitting at the instrument and like, working out how do I sound like that? How do I take right. solos like that? How do I, how, how do I, like my harmonic content at this instrument become as interesting as that stuff that I'm listening to? And much as I'm nothing like as good as, as Ray Charles, I think like listening <laughs> to him growing up definitely gave me this idea like, well, if I could just play an F chord, but I could also just play these few extra notes and then, and then you build it from there, right? So like I was a terrible right. improviser for years, but through just like sustained tenacity, yeah. growing up, <laughs> sustained that. tenacity. <laughs> that's true persistence. Yeah, I guess that's what it I mean, takes. That, right? that was the thing. Like, I, I'm not. It's something anyone can learn as long as you put the time in and you listen to people who are good at it. Mm. I like if it's a great way. if I if I'd continued to play classical music, I know some phenomenal classical pianists who are absolutely petrified of improvising. You can give them a lead sheet. And they, what goes from like this remarkable flurry of Chopin turns right. into this absolute trickle of nonsense. Just simply because yeah. it's not not what they're used to doing, right? Like whereas yeah. sure, I yeah. come from a time where like, if I wanted to learn a song, I could like sit there and I could figure the chords out. And like especially growing up listening to like Nirvana, there wasn't a whole lot of piano in that stuff. So if I wanted to play it, I had to try and find how am I going to voice these chords so that they're interesting and it sounds like kind of the same, like sound that i'm listening to and i think that yeah. a lot i mean now when i try and because we do a lot of that stuff with dueling pianos where people will ask us for a guitar based songs and i don't take a guitar on stage so i definitely have to try and like voice these things correctly so that they sound yeah guitaring and it's like a lot of trial and error came into like just making these things sound interesting and i think it gave me quite an interesting vocabulary when it comes to like voicing chords and playing yeah, things because I, I improvised a way to try and find these uh, these sounds and then when you create yep. them they just become part of your artillery right yeah, yeah. those are two great words vocabulary and uh, artillery uh, we've had some mention we've had some conversations about the vocabulary and how it applies to music um, and it's interesting that you said that um, kind of the way that you developed your vocabulary in a sense or for the most part maybe was from lifting or listening at least to some of the greats of the time that you were kind of learning um, how did you then take some of those concepts? I know they've sort of become your own and 
you have your own ways of implementing them into the music that you're playing, whether it's a cover or your own music. But how have you been able to take your vocabulary, essentially, and turn that into your original creations and your, your own songs? What's that process like? I think I write a lot of music in frustration at uh, my inability to play guitar. So a lot of the original stuff that I wrote was definitely me trying to like, all right, well, I can't play guitar well enough to sit and play guitar and write stuff, but you know what? I can play piano that sounds kind of guitar-y and it has like, uh, definitely like, I do a lot of that power chordy stuff, like so a power chord yeah. and the guitar is like root fifth, octave third, and like taking that stuff and like creating. So when I started writing songs, I'm like, all right, well, this is gonna be basically me playing guitar voicings on the piano. And by trial and error, coming up with something that sort of sounded cool. And then, you know, eventually I got over the fact that maybe the piano is a cool instrument. And I wasn't trying to hide the fact I was playing piano by trying to emulate guitars all the time. And then just melding the two. So if you'd start with something that was like kind of chuggy and guitar-y, and then like maybe keeping that going with my left hand while adding something slightly more flowery, for lack of a better term, with my right hand, like, <laughs> you end up with something that which definitely defines my way of playing the piano, which is, you know, like if I'm playing by myself, then I like my piano, my piano playing to sound fat and full and like have all of the bits that you'd expect. So, you know, you have the bass line, you have these guitar bits filling it out, and then you have the flowery stuff on top. And it was really just taking that with my frustration of the fact that when all my friends would start playing guitar and they'd play me ACDC riffs, I'm like, that's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm here release. And they're like, yeah, but it's cool. No, so like, no, I definitely, cool. <laughs> eventually, like by trying to emulate all of the guitarists I had and friends I had, I ended up being able to do something that sounded kind of cool like that. And then bringing in the classical training on the top was something that created the sound that I have. I have always been a terrible jazz pianist because one of those people that jazz is just like, yeah, it doesn't leave me. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 like I can appre- <laughs> I can appreciate the virtual uh, virtuosity of it, and yeah. you know I can appreciate the harmonics of it, but it's mm-hmm. never it's not something I've ever wanted to sit. And like, I can listen to Oscar Peterson all day. I think that's amazing, but it never yeah. made me want to go sit at the instrument in the right. same way as listening to like Doctor John made me want to go sit at the instrument. Right, right, mm. Doctor John. Mm. Yeah, what a great reference. Um. Just speaking on on your musicianship, if that's a word I just made up, but um, you uh, you write a lot. But I, I I was scouring the internet for your music, and I only saw one album. Do you? Uh, well, I have do you hope three. to release more music. Oh, you do. I'm sorry. I have three. Um, it's interesting. I um, once I discovered that I that I I wanted to do this for a living. One of the things that moving to Canada and releasing original music and doing a lot of touring with. This gave my ego a huge beating because you're constantly looking for validation because it's my music and like people must like it. And then of course you do gigs to like three people, two of whom are staff right. at the venue, and one of them is your girlfriend. Yeah. And, <laughs> like there was a point where I realized like I I stand behind the music that I wrote at the time that I wrote it, but I actually wanted because I actually want to play my instrument for a living. I didn't want to spend so much time and money anymore doing these things that ended up making me feel terrible about myself. Right. So right. I just got to a point where I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not, I remember I, like the last album I did, I decided I wanted to do with, with the label that I was with, like I want to do an album with a symphony orchestra. 
And so we did everything and I released it and I think we sold maybe 75 copies of that album. Right. Which, in terms of recouping the money that they'd spent on it, was awful yeah. in terms of making me feel like what I was doing was worthwhile. Because obviously I wasn't making any money if the label wasn't making any money. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah, so, it's like, I got to a point, like, I want to play my instrument without my ego taking a beating. I want to turn up, have a lot of fun, play great music, get paid and go home. I don't want to be responsible for promotion. I don't want to be responsible for the number of people in there. And it just... Got to a point right. where I can't do this anymore. I, I can't project myself as this this original artist because yeah. I'm just much more interested in playing my instrument for a living. And I think if I'd stayed doing original music, eventually it would have just got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. And then right, I might right. I might have been too jaded to carry on playing the piano. So there was definitely a fork in the road. Yeah, And I took right. a fork, which was, now I'm going to play for pleasure and profit and not for ego satisfaction. Hey, that's like uh, that's a noble uh, pursuit. It is yeah, great. It's I agree. A, like it was a hard yeah. thing at the time because obviously, like the the reason that I am a professional musician is predicated on the fact that I love sitting at the piano and writing songs and then playing them for people. Yeah, right. but I still get to do that. They're just not songs that I've written myself, and but I still get just as much pleasure by playing Sweet Caroline to a whole bunch of people who are going to sing the whole thing. I mean, maybe Sweet Caroline's a bad example. <laughs> I think that's a enough. great one. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's still one of those songs where everyone's singing it. You know, for some of these people, it might be the first time they've heard it in years. It's probably the fifteenth time I played it that week. But right. you know, like yeah. watching people's eyes light up and get up and get on the floor and start singing and joining in and creating joy through my instrument is something I've always loved doing. Mm, and yes. whether you do it through songs you've written yourself or you've done it, do it through songs that other people have written that have proved timeless. Actually, when I was younger, I would have laughed at you, at myself, really. But now I realize that actually there's, there's really no difference. And you can get paid very, very well to do these things and True. go home. And I, you know what? I had a lot of fun this evening. I played for a whole bunch of people that had an amazing time. And I got to go home and sleep in my own bed. I'm not sitting on a tour bus. I actually made money. <laughs> true. And you made yeah, money. That's good. Yeah. That's true. A whole bunch you of check money. marks right there. Uh, that's point. interesting that you've mentioned that, though, because as a musician, you've started a business, right? And mm -hmm. for some people, even that part of it takes the joy out of it. So, what's been your way of balancing the music and the business side? Yeah, well, the, the, you're 100% right. The running of the business is one of the. Definitely one of the harder parts of it, because I like playing, but I don't necessarily like back and forth with clients. I don't necessarily yeah. like writing contracts. Like, I don't like, like organizing. We, we fly all over Canada doing this, so organizing shipping of equipment to places and renting and sorting out hotels. And like, right. They're amazing how much stuff gets taken care of for you when a label is there doing it for you, and once it all becomes you. But then if you don't leave yourself any choice in the matter... And like, so if for each gig, I like, all right, I'm going to spend two hours today making sure I only have a checklist of things that need to be sorted. And like for these next two hours, that's what I'm going to do. Yep. But yeah, I mean, running a business is, is the worst part of it. But also what I realized is if you let someone else run the business, then mm -hmm. you're always on the cusp of never being hired again, right? Because all you have to do is fall foul of some kind of politics or fall mm. out with someone, you know, that's right, yeah. If it's my company, then I can hire the people that I enjoy playing with, and a lot of the, right. the power comes back to me. I also know how much the gig is actually paying, so when I pay people, I believe I pay people like very well. But like, right. I, you always wonder when you play 
when I was playing with some wedding bands, you'd go and play these weddings, which were obviously like six-figure weddings. You're like, oh, well, if I'm taking home 450 bucks and this yeah, nine-piece yeah. band is on the stage, like someone right. is doing very well out of this. And it certainly <laughs> isn't me. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, like looking at that and realizing that actually running a business is the only way to keep control of these things mm-hmm. and like make sure that everyone is being paid fairly and not have to worry. Like I used to play with a band that was pretty successful and did some touring and then I, me and the guitarist had one massive argument one day and like they never called me in again. That like, was it. Yeah. Put myself uh, yeah. in that situation where there's a whole yeah. bunch of time that I would be expecting to spend on the road with this band that all of a sudden vanished just because the guitarist and I didn't see eye to eye. That yeah. might be an understatement on something. <laughs> Fair enough. Keep the power in your hands. Love it. So um, you f- it sounds like you figured it out. You're, you're, uh, you're a I mean, working musician. It's going musician. well now. Yeah. That kicks ass every night. And I think now people want to know where because... People want to come see this dueling piano show. So can you tell wow. us where people can find you in person, online, in their dreams, and so on? Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, we are headed out uh, next week to the PNE, which is Vancouver's CNE, where we will be running the dueling piano oh, stage from August 20th to September 5th. Nice. So we were, we are there six nights a week. Mondays are dark. So we're playing there. Then we're coming back. And I am going to go and play at Sopranos in Aruba until uh, October 1st. And then we have a residency at the Ballroom in downtown Toronto, which is uh, John and... uh, Like King and John. Okay. (laughs) And we're there every Thursday night from 10 till 1. Oh, you're booked up. We're pretty busy. Through to the end of the year, we're, we're pretty busy. That's, I like I like being able to play in public because a lot of people you say dueling pianos to, and they're like, what? So it's important <laughs> yeah. for us to have like a public face so yeah, that people yeah. can come out and see and have some fun and then hopefully book us for their wedding, Christmas party, corporate event, slash, slash, slash. Right. Slash, slash. Love it. Nice. Amazing. Well, we'll come out and see a show when you're back. We're not going to go to Real Vancouver. Trip. We no, like I, you, but you know, have things to do here. <laughs> we like you, uh, and uh, yeah, can people, do you guys have uh, socials, any other way people can follow? Oh yeah, you can find us on Instagram at, um, at slash Great Canadian Dueling. And you can find us on Facebook at also slash Great Canadian Dueling. Our website is www.dueling.ca. And I think that's basically, because I have to run all of these things, that's about all I have time for. Yeah, yeah people tell me awesome. that I should be on TikTok, and like you know, I waste a lot of time online. Not if you're doing yeah. well. TikTok yeah, will I, take that's all your time. True. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Joel, thank you for stopping by. Thank uh, you so Good much. luck awesome, with man. the Vancouver tour. Is it tour residency? Good luck with taking over Vancouver. Well, and you, uh, <laughs> we'll be in touch, and we'll see you when you're back. And thanks for speaking with us. That'd be awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Yeah, thank you. No problem. All take right, care. Take stay care. safe.
As a podcaster, you know that great content is only half the battle. The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit dnaairwaves.com slash Captivate today to start your free trial.